listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Right, welcome to episode number 58 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Matt Taylor. Matt is the Scottish defence coach. He's a 46-year-old father of two and a former flanker who played in both Australia and Scotland. He started his coaching at Exeter Chiefs in 2005 and then went back to Australia and worked with Sunnybank Rugby Club, the Southport School, the Queensland Reds, and following 2013, went and coached in Scotland. He was with the Glasgow Warriors and he's now with the national team and it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Matt. Thanks, Andrew. Great to be here. Yeah, no worries. Um, bit on your, your playing there. You, I believe you also played Scotland A, is that right? What, how'd, you, how'd you get yeah. into rugby and then where did it, how did it end up being at Scotland A? Yeah, well, I, listen, I started playing rugby at a, probably when I was about 12 years old. I was uh, my parents are Scottish. That's where my kind of Scottish connection comes from. And uh, I went to a school in Brisbane called St Lawrence's, and they were a big rugby school. So once I got there, there was no playing any, any more uh, football or soccer, and it was straight <laughs> into rugby. So and I just went in from there and uh, just played for a few clubs in Brisbane. There, I, uh, I started off at South uh, in Colts and then Grades, and then I moved over to Sunnybank later on. In between, I went over and had a year in. In Houston, in Texas, oh, right, in '96, quite fun, uh, and actually got up to Canada for a couple of weeks to the Merrillomas. I think it was two weeks. Yeah, in BC, yeah. And then uh, w- went back into Australia, and um, and then at about 28 years of age, I came over to play in Scotland with my Scottish heritage, and um, and then got a contract with Edinburgh Rugby and the Borders Rugby for a number of years, and played a few about four or five times for the A team, which was fantastic. Oh, great. That's awesome. And uh, must have taken you a while to get used to wonderful Scottish weather. Yeah, it was a bit, a wee bit different. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, playing on the hard tracks of Australia and into the, the damp kind of uh, boggy kind of pitches of Scotland and the UK. But, um, yeah, and they certainly play a different style. But I think uh, as a player as well as a coach, I think it's kind of good grounding to to have been in both environments and um, I was just lucky to get opportunity to be professional for four years, a, a dream come true. I wasn't good enough to make a super team in Australia, but yeah. I was good enough to be, become professional in Scotland, which was fantastic. Yeah, awesome. That's great. All right. Yeah. What, what about coaching? What, what did those first coaching experiences look like? Uh, and what, like looking back now, what was some, kind of some of the big takeaways that you got from those first experiences? Yeah, I think um, – the big thing for me was uh, I was uh, I'm a teacher by trade, mm. similar to you. I was a PE teacher, and uh, so kind of as I was um, just finishing university and into in a teaching, I was at a, a couple of all boys schools. So I kind of I coached straight away, uh, even when I was playing. So I really enjoyed that, just imparting the knowledge and, and working with younger kids. And then I'd go play in the afternoon myself. So that was kind of my first little bit of coaching, and then. Uh, went professional and didn't really have much time to kind of coach. And then as soon as we, we finished that, I was kind of straight into kind of coaching at Exeter. And, you know, I just kind of probably loved the, um, you know, coaching and teaching goes hand in hand and just being able to, 
impart knowledge and see people develop and improve and both individually as a group really appealed to me. So, um, and, yeah, and that's probably um, why I really, where I've really enjoyed it and I'm lucky that it's my profession, so it's, it's great. Yeah, I think that's like definitely for me too, just seeing that those not only the individuals get better but the team as a whole grow and be greater than the sum of its parts. That's like that's that's huge for me. I, I really enjoy that too. And um, what when when you were with Exeter, did you start as a defence coach straight away, or did you have a few different roles? Yeah, so um, the, uh, Exeter was looking for a defence coach, and I just finished up in the board. I had a few injuries, and mm-hmm. I was looking to get into coaching. And at that time, they were in the championship. They've since moved up to the premiership yeah. now. Um, but yeah, I was doing defence there, um, which was good. The guy Rob Baxter, mm-hmm. who's now their head coach, he was actually their captain at the time, so it was good to work with Rob. And I'm still quite good friends with him now, and talk to him uh, quite regular. So um, no, it was great. And then I had a year there, and went back to Australia, and got back into teaching, and coached at uh, Sunnybank, and um, did well there. And then went to a, a really good private school, which was right near the rugby on the Gold Coast, and. Mm. Lucky enough, there was a, a number of really good players there, and we had a pretty good success there. Like the likes of James Slipper and Rob Simmons and uh, Ben Tapawise over in the UK mm. now. So yeah, we had a good group there, and then moved into the Reds Academy for a number of years and did Australian Twenties, and then got an opportunity to coach at the Reds in 2010. So that's where it probably really kicked off in terms of um, you know coaching at the highest level. And um, so yeah, it's been great. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely touch on the time at the Reds because that was, uh, you know, uh, for Australian rugby too. That was that was a pretty awesome period there, and uh, yeah, love to love to get your ideas yeah. there. What for for the Scotland role? You you're obviously the defence coach, but what, what what does that kind of look like? You we we're just talking off off air there that you kind of you're in the off season, out of season time now, and you you're reviewing uh, the Six Nations and what what's what's your week look like working for Scotland? Uh, in season and out of season, how's how's that pan out? Yeah, well, like um, like you probably just suggested before, um, when I came over to Scotland, I had a dual role. I I was working for the Glasgow Warriors and also mm-hmm. Scotland, so I was a pretty busy uh, coach in terms of, you know, just about every week I was coaching a game. So at the moment, um, I'm no longer with the Warriors; I'm just full time with Scotland. So I have a lot more time. So basically, my week at the moment. Uh, is good in terms of um, usually from Friday till Monday you're watching games and um, in Scotland uh, we as a coaching group will go to the Edinburgh and Glasgow games live that we're there just to mm-hmm. see our players live and then we'll catch up watching everyone else's game within that period. Yep. Usually on a Tuesday then we'll either meet in Glasgow or Edinburgh and we'll sit down as a coaching group and go through and kind of assess each player, how they went on the weekend, where we see them in terms of their ranking. Um, so we usually do that on a Tuesday. Whether we're whether Ed, Edinburgh or Glasgow, we'll then watch, go watch a training session mm-hmm. of one of those clubs. Yeah. Uh, Dave, Rennie, Dave Rennie, who who was at the Chiefs, very good coach. He's at, at Glasgow, so it'll be it's interesting watching them. And you have got Richard Cockrell, who uh, who had a lot of success uh, at uh, Leicester for many years. Uh, he's at Edinburgh, so that's quite good. Then on a Wednesday, we'll often meet at Murrayfield and we might have a, like a learning day. So we might have a look at one area of the game and we'll pick that apart in terms of, say, we might see something in Europe, say Munster's doing something really good at the breakdown. We'll kind of assess them, look at them, mm. see see the um, advantages of, of either their technique or a strategy they're using and see and discuss whether we could use that. 
Um, we might look at, um, you know, individual players from outside our kind of union and see what they're doing and we'll, or we'll get someone to come in and talk to us weekly. Greg is very good on that, um, getting people in and talking to different people. And then usually on a Thursday, we'll go to the other, if we've been at Glasgow on a Tuesday, we might go to Edinburgh on the, on the Thursday right. and, and kind of do the same thing, just kind of catch up, um, talk about maybe like our tour and things like that. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're kind of usually somewhere together. And then Mondays and Fridays, you're working from home, which, which is fantastic. So mm-hmm. I've just got a lot more time to look at the game and assess things and review. Whereas before I was probably always pretty much in game mode week to week, which is, which has been good after five years of doing both. It, it's been really good just to concentrate on Scotland this year. Yeah, no, that sounds like well, it just sounds like the dream. <laughs> just watching yeah. and working around rugby uh, all the time. I think that's that's pretty awesome. So it must be great. When when you when you first started with Scotland as a defence coach, what what were your main priorities? Like when you were from an outsider looking in, when you when you got the position, what did what was your initial kind of thoughts? And then how did you go about um, fixing some of the things or strengthening yeah. some of the things? Yeah, well, it's funny. I think because um, uh, I had a dual role, uh, I was kind of working on two fronts. Mm. So uh, at Glasgow, the defence at Glasgow was actually uh, statistically very good. Um, they'd done a good job. They had a, a really good culture. I think uh, Scotland was going through a tough time. Um, so they hadn't had as much success. Glasgow had, uh, the year before, had reached the semifinals. Um I think in terms of their work rate and effort and that, they, they were very good. Um, what I probably added to that is a bit more to the systems, uh, a bit more detail around the systems, a bit more detail around the technique. Mm-hmm. Scotland, um, and we'll probably touch on this later on, I think international teams are different to club teams. With the club team, I had a lot of time to work with them yeah. week in, week out. Uh, with a national team, it's harder to affect that change as much. Um and again, we'll talk about this maybe later on, but there's two coaches now at Edinburgh and Glasgow who are very much similar to me in terms of philosophies and what we do. I've got a really good relationship with them. So it's it's making my job um, a hell of a lot easier than when I first came in mm. because Edinburgh were doing lots of things differently to what I was hoping to put into Scotland. And then, again, you, you, you haven't, you've only got the guys for maybe two sessions before an international game and different systems and that. But uh, And that's the challenge of international rugby sometimes. But... Certainly to where I was when I first started to where I am now, I think it's a hell of a, a lot different. But, um, you know, uh, setting up a defensive identity and probably a, a feeling for the team was kind of my first priorities. Mm-hmm. Just get their heads around working hard for each other. And then uh, we worked really hard on the, the post-tackle and the tackle. Mm-hmm. I think um, when, you, when you're kind of bringing a defensive identity, it's really important that you, you work hard on those maybe two or three things that you want as your trademarks mm. that could maybe you want to be re- a really good tackling team you might want to have good line speed you might want to affect the, the post tackle and they were probably the three things that I kind of focused on now we've certainly improved in those areas and, and it's an ongoing um, thing with international rugby we're, we're looking to improve all the time but they were the three things and I think for me it was just bringing in that hard-nosed approach and and selling that to the players that you know, if we're to get better defensively, we're just going to have to keep working, working, working at it. And uh, at Glasgow there, for a number of years, um, we were the best defence in the league, which was fantastic. And that started 
filtering into the Scotland team as well, mm. which made my job uh, a lot easier. Yeah, it's it's funny. I like it. it's almost like they're two separate games: uh, attack and defense. And that defense is very uh, kind of psychologically based. It's yeah, there's skills to it, and there's um, you know individual technique and that stuff. But the whole concept of like um, having a really good mental approach to defense and being unified with the guys next to you or the girls next to you. Um, mm. Yeah, like we had, uh, I had Ben Darwin on uh, talking about uh, team cohesion, and he, yeah. his, his, you've probably read a lot about it already, and that, you know, that that team cohesion really shows up in defence. Uh, that those cohesive teams that are really tight and have played a lot together, they have mm. outstanding defence. Do how do you how do you intertwine that into your coaching? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because, um, as you said, I think with um, the cohesion part, we we had a lot of just. Gregor Townsend took over from uh, Vern Cotter mm-hmm. just uh, just recently, probably about nine, ten months ago now. And um, one of our big discussions area was around cohesion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's whenever we uh, select or wherever we talk, we we really bring in or talk about the cohesion factor mm-hmm. and work together. So some of that cohesion is um, working hard and, and keeping combinations. Now again, my area is defence, but that's probably in all areas. So what we've we've really looked at sometimes is when we're selecting teams, um, and we did this when we went on tour last year. To um, we played Italy and Singapore and Australia and Australia, and then Fiji and Fiji. We we sometimes, particularly in the first two games, we really selected um, on uh, combinations a lot in their team. So for those people that don't know the Scotland scene that much or, or a little bit, so Edinburgh, we've got two professional teams, Edinburgh and Glasgow. And probably two thirds, three quarters now of the Scotland team is is picked from those two teams. So sometimes we we would there there could be a slightly better or lesser player in a position, but we'd pick the group as a group, whether it's a front row, whether it's a, a nine and ten, whether it's mm. centre or back three. So that's been a big part of what we've tried to do at international level. Um, just pick sometimes on cohesion if we think. We think that's the right thing. Now, that's that's not always the case, but in a lot of cases, we've really looked at that as, as being a big part. And the cohesion factor, like I was mentioning before, can be systems as well. Mm. Uh, and as I've said, probably in the last year particularly, um, there's a, a Callum McRae, the defence coach of Edinburgh, a really good coach. Uh, he's pretty much on the same page as me. And Kenny Murray, who does Glasgow Warriors, was my offsider for four years and when I left the Warriors, uh, he would pick up the defensive part of the game uh, when I was away with the national team. Again, there's there's slight changes, but probably not not that big that um, we can't um, come together as a group really well, which has been a big help to me. Yeah, I think I think if you look at the Southern Hemisphere, I think that's one of the big things with New Zealand teams is uh, they do a lot of very similar things, and when they come together as the All Blacks, obviously they become pretty pretty awesome. Um, but I, I think I think it can't be underestimated how important that is. Um, that we can't can't just coach everyone up. That there's mm. you know a, a bond, especially in key positions um, and yeah. in tight parts of the game. It's really important. No, I think you're right, and I think um, yeah, New Zealand teams do very well because they've um, generally um, they're pretty similar with their defensive shapes and systems. Mm. But I think the thing too. Um, watching them and talking to a few New Zealand coaches 
both here and abroad is they keep things pretty simple. But I think the Kiwis, they're technically they're, they're pretty good in terms of their tackling and their post tackle and their attitude's always good. Mm. I don't think I don't think you make it to that level in New Zealand unless you're very very good at your core skills defensively. And so so they're, they're normally pretty good and they've, they've generally got pretty good attitudes. They they generally turn up. Most games, don't they? So. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, for sure. One of the one of the big things for me is being a game space coach and uh, making making that environment look like the game they play in. Um, I, I've had trouble in the past trying to incorporate games into into coaching defence. Um, I think mainly because you think defence and you think, oh, it's got to be contact based, but obviously it doesn't. Um, what? How, how do you incorporate games when you're coaching defence, uh, and, and how how much of your sessions would would involve games? Yeah, I think um, it's great that you're talking about games based. I think um, as I progressed as a coach, particularly even from my time at the Reds to my time here, I probably use more and more games. And particularly as we've just discussed with international rugby, um, sometimes you know you've only got a limited time, so. I think games-based approach and using games has allowed to get a lot of the principles and core kind of uh, systems uh, all at all at the same time. Um, and Greg Townsend, who I work with now, is has been a big advocate of games-based training. He's he's very smart in terms of looking at what we want, even week to week, and then coming up with games which just kind of highlight or pinpoint things which you want to bring out in the game. Mm. Um, but listen, probably the, I've got a couple of core skill games that, that we use in Scotland and, and some of which we've made up ourselves, some of which we've pinched off other other teams. Um, one uh, one we use quite a lot, we probably used it a bit more probably a couple of years ago, but still use it to this day is we call it Love the Chase game. Mm-hmm. And that, that's basically, you know, was we wanted to kind of come up with a game which worked on our kicking and our kick chase and our pressure. And it's there's a few rules to it, but basically, simply is, you know, um, either from a structured or unstructured exit, where you were you you looking at maybe you get two or three phases in your own half, and then you had to kick. Mm-hmm. Then from there, one or two things would happen. So if it was a contestable tick, kick, and you got it back in the air, and again, there's rules around whether you want to make it contestable in the air or not. But then if you got the ball back, then you had maybe six or seven phases to attack. So that was kind of a a principle, okay, make a contest, we'll get up, win it back, and then you get the ball to attack. If the other team gets the ball, again, they've got only three phase exit. So part of that strategy from a defensive point of view is your kick pressure and uh, enforcing poor kicks mm-hmm. and then scoring back um, and, and all those things. So you're really working on both sides of the ball but really focusing on the kick. kick like, And you get certain points for, say, a charge down, certain, so many points for a um, – a poor kick um, and, and things like that. Or if you shut them down in the 22, you get more points. So again, it's like any game, you try and make uh, rules or come up with points according to kind of what you want to promote or or, or or do there. So that's one of the games. Another game that we uh, we do quite regularly is the core school game. We call it this defensive integrity game. Mm-hmm. And um, basically it's usually maybe five defenders v maybe eight attackers. Um, those five defenders, um, you kick the ball out from behind your uh, try line and then the seven or eight attackers have the whole field to attack in. Now, basically, if they get a tag, they've got a long place, put the ball down. First person comes in, he must pass. He can't scoop. Mm-hmm. And basically, 
basically what the game's trying to promote is working hard and never get beat, getting cut up the middle. Mm. So, so the attacking team will get three points if they make a break through the middle of your defensive line. Okay. So they, they do a switch and pull you apart mm. and get through. They'll say maybe get three points. If they score a try on the outside, which you don't really want to concede a try, but if you do, then you push them to the sideline, usually your friend. You're not getting busted up in the middle. They get one point. Now, if you force an error, okay, those five guys come back to the behind the try line. You might have three guys in reserve. They tag over and you kick it off. And that you might do duration of two minutes or two and a half minutes. And so it's a bit of a competition. Then you swap yeah. sides. And it's a team which basically limits the, the other team to the least amount of points in attack. So that's another game we do quite a lot of. Oh, that's great. I love that last one. I love them both. But that last one, uh, often often where when you're in defense, you're, you're overloaded and you have to scramble hard. And uh, that, that, that game, I could see that really helping in that part of the, part of the play. There's another, there's another few games. And again, with a lot of games, you, you work on both sides of the ball. But mm. again, a couple of the, the other games we play, which are, are for attack, but they work your defense. So we play another game called Transition Touch. Yeah. which is there might be a team of, say, um, eight, the eight, but then there's another another set of maybe four players in a different coloured bibs, mm-hmm. and they're always on the attacking side. Right. So, yeah, so you'll kick the ball, and there'll be those eight guys already in one colour, but they'll also have another four, okay? So mm-hmm. that will be, you know, 12 v. eight, and then you're sometimes we might go for unlimited phases, sometimes it might be six, or and if there's a turnover, or whatever, automatically those guys who are on one side, they'll swap over and then come on the other. So mm, always cool, defense cool. is undermanned, mm. and you're then working on your systems. We call it Saints here. A lot in Australian teams they'll call it Jockey, or mm. probably New Zealand teams might call it Jockey. Some teams as well. So you're always undermanned. So you're working that that uh, defensive system when you're undermanned, you're understressed, and things like that. Mm. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. I think there's some real usable nuggets there for, for coaches to grab for that. So, yeah, thanks for that. And what, what about post-game? How do you – like there's a, there's a thousand and one stats you can look at uh, either side of the ball. What, what For you, what are some of the key kind of metrics you look at? And by the sound of it, a lot of them would be more kind of attitude and effort and uh, those kind of things rather than, you know, tackles missed, tackles completed. Yeah, I think um... – I think there's two things you you can think of there. Is I think there's um, you'll probably spend spend a lot of time as coaches or a coaching group uh, really going through with a fine tooth comb some of the stats and and what you see. But it's then working out what you want to talk to your players about or what do you want to highlight because if you go through too much, then it's just too much for the player. So you just want to probably try and work on on certain things. But listen, I think individually. Um, you know, it's pretty simple that you you always probably look at um, how individuals are tackling, how they're making the tackle, is a tackle dominant. Um, the big thing in terms of our work rate, which a lot of international teams, a lot of teams will do, will be um, how quickly they get back on their feet mm-hmm. after a tackle. And that mm-hmm. has to do with work rate and effort. So that's something which you can really, you can be tough on your players with in terms of being hard on them. If that's not, if they're not doing that well, mm-hmm. or not doing to a certain standard, because again, that's, that's got to do with the, the effort areas rather than anything else. So that's something we'll look at individually. Um, I think, listen, the, the big ones are tries for, as a team, tries conceded or line breaks conceded mm-hmm. and probably conceded. I mean, you'd like to think in, in most games, international games, you can, te- you can keep the opposite. If you keep the opposition to under 18, 
18 to 20 points, you're doing pretty well and you're in a pretty good space. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, you've got various kind of standards or goals that you looked at. The other thing, as I was saying before, is Scotland as a nation, we see our post-tackle actions as something really important to us. Now, um, the way rugby's going and some teams don't kind of contest at all, um, some teams only contest in certain parts of the field. Mm. Uh, generally, we've worked both at Glasgow and Edinburgh doing the same now. In Scotland, we've got some really good pay from um, our post-tackle actions and working hard in that space. And we feel that's part of our uh, rugby identity. Scottish um, Scottish people in general, they, they fight for everything and there's mm. a real fight in them. And, and we've, again, we've, we've done reasonably well in that space. I think from Six Nations, we... We came out pretty well, although France did really well. Um, and there's advantages and disadvantages to, to, to going hard at the post tackle there. And um, But we feel that's part of what makes us tick. Um, the other thing that you'll probably look at is, again, um, your systems and, you know, system errors and both individual and a group and just address them. And, and the other thing is, you know, you, there's a short time between um, particularly in national rugby, is so um, what you're reviewing is also part of your preview. In, yeah. And Wayne Smith, um, the ex-All Black assistant coach who did defence for the All Blacks for a long time, very good. He spent uh, two weeks in Scotland a number of years ago. Very, very a great guy, uh, awesome bloke and, and, and unbelievable coach. And his big thing with the All Blacks, which we've kind of taken on, it's pretty simple, but... A lot of his review was his preview. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you say, for instance, maybe around the guard shield A or your your, your defensive three guys near the ruck, mm-hmm. you were maybe poor, you weren't coming up as quickly as you should have in one game, and the next week you're playing South Africa, you kind of have the review clips but also mix it with the preview. So they're kind of getting that learning but also push it into next week as well. And I thought that was a a real smart way of kind of review and previewing, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Kind of all-encompassing. It's not just little silos of information, but it's actually going exactly. going in the right direction. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and the other thing is, again, this is a bit of progression with my coach and what we're doing is um, usually we, we, we'd have a lot of meetings, both reviewing and previewing. Mm-hmm. And now, now I'm getting to the stage internationally is, Sometimes we'll do what we call a telestration, is that we'll do a bit of a review and then do a screenshot on uh, QuickTime and then we'll put it in the players. For Scotland, we've got a, a platform called Game Planner and then the players can go on and have a look at it and we'll keep the review pretty quick. And then the next day, because they've got so many meetings of you know, scrum, line out, attack, defence, I might just say, okay, what, what did you learn here and kind of quiz them or talk through it rather than going through the whole presentation at that time. They can do it in their own time that night. So that's something slightly different and progressed over our time. And we've done different things too. Sometimes the players have presented it to the, the, the rest of the group, which, mm-hmm. which helps their knowledge and understanding and explanation, which has been a good process. It, it usually takes a little bit more time to do that, but sometimes um, it's worth the effort. So, and, and we mix it up now. In my time at Glasgow, there was a year or for two seasons, basically the players always did it that way. Mm. And then and then we changed it up. And that's what we do with Scotland now. Sometimes the players will present, sometimes we'll present, mm. sometimes we'll put it on uh, game planner. So we, we try and mix it up and change it up so it's not always the, 
the same for the players. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, mo- moving on. What? What? Uh, if if you were talking to a coach who just started up a new role, uh, a new defensive role, and they were, you know, completely new to the team, new to the club, didn't really have anything to go on. What? What? What would? What advice would you give them in terms of how they how they'd start? What would their first session kind of look like? Uh, some kind of things to be aware of, mistakes that you've maybe made in the past or other coaches have made in the past, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think um, I suppose it's all, it's there's you know depending on what level they're at or where they're at, I think it's important to have a good understanding of maybe the systems which have been in place beforehand mm-hmm. and uh, and what's on the techniques and maybe what's worked and what hasn't worked. Um, again, and also trying to get a good gauge maybe with some of the senior players of what they believe worked, what believes need to be changed. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, uh, depending on whether you're an assistant coach or the head coach and you're also the defence coach, you probably need to talk to the head coach and say, right, what are you looking, what is my role here? What are you looking for me to achieve? Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to go in sometimes to a place and try and prove everything. You might want to say, right, I want to be better tackler and I want to have bit more line speed. And you might have two or three drills which or activities or games which you just hammer, 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 and then get that change and improvement. The other thing I think, well, I certainly need to do a lot better, and when I, when I wasn't a back because I was a flanker, is just scrum defence. Yep. Just kind of who goes where, you know, if they've got a, a two, four set up, you go three, three and a, and a full back, and just knowing that, depending on which area of the field, I think, over my time, there's been some coaches from just talking to them and, and listening to other players where either they've either not been a back or they've maybe come from rugby league and they've come into um, maybe a rugby union environment and the players have said, oh, you know, what should we do here? How many? And they, and they haven't really known. And that, mm. you know, it's like you, you don't have to have the answers for everything. But I think if you have a basic role knowledge or have a system in terms of, Okay, what's happening here and there? It just gives clarity to the players, and you know, it, it just makes them have confidence in you. That's what I would say. Um, and I think you've got to be hard nosed. I think you've got to be. Um, I think defence is, is a hard part of the game, so um, I think you've got to be strong. You've got to listen to the players and that, but you've got to kind of have a strong aura about you as well. Whether you're presenting, whether you're um, doing the activities, I think. It's uh, an area of the game that, that's a strong part. So I think that as a coach, generally you want a, a pretty strong defensive coach leading that part of the game. Yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, it's important, and it's important. Um, yeah. you know they they're going to be putting themselves in harm's way. So you've got to also have that kind of tone uh, that it's you know it's not fun in games sometimes, and that you got to you got to dig in. Yeah, that's that's right. And I think I think the best defensive coaches, which which I've seen work or talk to or that they um, they get really buy-in from their players and and usually a lot of the defence coaches who have had good success have had pretty good themes around the defence and again I'm, I'm pro- probably referring again to Wayne Smith because he's probably been one of the best if not the best kind of defence coach for a number for a number of period in the southern hemisphere but talking to him they had certain kind of themes which had a real Big emotional attachment to the defence. Mm, good stuff that ties in with just general team culture and uh, the like. Yeah, I think I think again talking to him and I've kind of tried to do the same with the teams I've been involved in. You just find something which 
the team can have an emotional grab to. Mm. And when things are tough and you're under duress and those things are driving you on mm. and, uh, um, you know, family's always a, a big one, isn't it? A, an emotional drive. You always get up for your family or, mm. or friends or your mates, uh, not letting your mates down. But depending on whether it's a country or, or an area, you can kind of have stories attached to the fence. Mm. I think it's a really good one. So. Cool. Oh, great stuff. All right. Um, want to want to backtrack a bit to what you you mentioned earlier with your time at the Reds. Um, you know, no doubt it was a, quite a purple patch there for Australian rugby there, which uh, unfortunately has been a bit few and far between over the last uh, little while. But um, you um, it must be hugely memorable the the Super Title in twenty eleven. And what what do you think were some of the key ingredients uh, to that Red success in that that time? Yeah, listen, it was uh, a fantastic um, time for for me personally, and also just just the group and the state and and rugby in general. And then New South Wales kind of backed that up a couple of years later, which was was great. And and they're a bit tougher times at the moment, but hope, hopefully they can change things around. But yeah. listen, I think um, Ewan McKenzie was um, and what he did was a, a massive part on on why we did well. And um, and you know what, like some of the stuff that the coaches. Phil Mooney had done previously before I got us, before we got to where we got to, really helped us as well because they'd developed the attack harder things really well, but mm. the defence part wasn't kind of where it needed to be, and that was one of the big things, um, among other things. But I'll, I'll probably touch on the defence. So when Ewan came in, um, I was in the academy and I'd done defence with the the 20s, and I'd written a few reports on the the Reds' defence. Um, and what, what he had to do, and he read those. And at the time, Queensland Rugby Union were in um, financial difficulties, so they didn't have a lot of money. And <laughs> I was in the system, and they said, "Right, we're going to give you an opportunity," which which was fantastic from him. Yeah, and uh, basically, he 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 talked to the players, and he said, "Listen, we're actually doing in in the attacking part of the game in terms of offloads and and even tries scored. They they were doing reasonably well, mm. uh, but they'd finished thirteenth in the comp the year before. They were you know second last." Um, and and he, he said, defensively, we need to make massive shifts. And the first thing he did is he, saying, he said, listen, defence is important and we're going to attach a coach to it. And me being a defence coach, I truly believe that in most teams, if you want defence to be really important, you should attach a coach to it. Mm-hmm. And some teams, some teams do, a lot of teams do that now or do it. And then some teams kind of, you know, a guy might do defence and this other. I, I don't think that works as well, but that's probably because I'm a bit biased in terms of defence. Mm. So he said, right, we're going to spend a lot of time doing defence, and defence is often linked to culture, and that's mm. the other thing. So I think what he did is, um, rightly or wrongly, there was a perception that both on-field and off-field that uh, the culture wasn't where it needed to be at the Reds. Mm-hmm. Um, and you um, and always used the um, same perceptions reality. So when you walk into a place, what do you see? And, and that's basically what, what's happening. So he he really kind of worked hard at that space, the cultural space. And what a simple thing that he did, and, and a lot of teams do it now and use trademarks, but basically he got the group together and he said, listen, how would you guys like to be perceived by others? Mm. You know, basically, to cut a long story short, we sat down and the players, the players came up with three words. And then basically from that, they had ownership in terms of what they wanted, in terms of how they wanted to be perceived. And instead of talking about wins and, and this and that, whatever, um, they had three values and we just assessed everything on those three values, whether it was training, whether it was off-field, whether it was on-field, 
And that just really drove us. And in the end, it was good that we had those trademarks of behaviours because you could hold, they came up with the words and then if they didn't deliver on them, they were held accountable. And I think that was a big part of why we did well. Now, the other area, we talked about defence, uh, and it's pretty hard in professional sport to go from 13th to to get in the finals. And we just missed out in the first year. We went 13th to 5th. But mm. um, but the other the other area which Ewan had a big, um, big push on was the style of play. So in that first year, we basically ran everything, really. We, we had kicking involved. And we used kicking uh, smartly, but we we ran, we took risks. Mm. So, and, and his his idea was we want to excite the crowd, we want to bring the crowds back to you know Queensland and that and uh, that worked to a certain extent in the in the first year. But again, we we just dipped out in the finals, and then the next year, fortunately enough, we went from fifth to winning it. So within a space of two years, uh, we went from thirteenth to win it, which was fantastic. And um, there was a lot of good work, and I think. The thing that, and I've just written this down here when I was thinking of a few of the questions, I think um, with a lot of good teams or teams that are successful, it's it's a, it's a sum of a lot of good professional habits mm. over time. So there was those things which I've just mentioned or talked about was really important, but it was a sum of everything, a lot of different things coming together. And then, again, you need a little bit of luck. And I think what I've said before, I'm going to give rap to the guys before us, a lot of the guys, like for instance, the guy Will, Will Genya and Quade Cooper, um, they got blooded in a Reds team when they were very young and they didn't get many wins. But we, we got the advantage of their experience four or five years down the track mm. with all these other things coming to place. Whereas if we probably had, you know, first or second year, nine and ten, we probably wouldn't have won that cop. But those guys went through the hard times, the losses, and we got the experiences with everything else we did. So you need a bit of luck and... And that and that went on. So so that was that was a big part of the cultural change, the defence, and then probably the style of play that really helped us. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I got I got just as a fan, you know, watching watching the Reds play. I, I think it was uh, it was the closest an Aussie team has played like a Kiwi team uh, for for my memory. Even like probably back until you know the eighties when you know we had the Grand Slam in the eighty four. I think it was. Um, the Reds played like proper New Zealand uh, yeah. Super Rugby, like you see now, and uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it was awesome. It was an epic time. Well, I think the guy, uh, the guy I haven't mentioned there is Jim McKay, who's uh, who's a very, very good coach. He was the the backs and attacks coach at the Reds, and then he went on with Ewan to um, to help the Wallabies for that period that they were there. And uh, he's now in Japan, and he's a, he's a great coach. He had a very simple philosophy. Um, in terms of attack, like generally, if we hit up um, and we got gain line, we got momentum, we went wide after the next phase. If we if we kind of got parity on, we just hit up with forwards, and we got really slow ball, we came back blind. And um, it was just it kept everything really simple. And again, we had pretty good players. We also kicked smartly as well. Like the year we won it, we actually it was really funny. We kicked more than anyone in the comp, mm. but no one ever thought that. Everyone thought we ran it. But yeah. it was the type of cross field grubbers, and it's a bit like the Kiwis exactly, play and yeah. how. Yeah. yeah. So you're looking to regain yeah. it rather than giving the opposition the ball. But listen, a lot of things came together in that mm. period, and yeah. for me and uh, and for the rest of the state was a great period. Yeah, and what? How? How do you? Well, you can't compare, I suppose, to to Glasgow's success in the Pro 12. They're you know different different time and different experiences, and you wouldn't want to 
compare like for like there. But what 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 would yeah. you, what do what did you grab from that experience of the win in twenty fifteen? And were there anything that popped yeah. out that were like, well, that happened well, in the rest too. So I'll say so. Um, so Glasgow, in terms of where they were culturally, were when I say a lot further on. They had a, they had a good culture when we got there in terms mm-hmm. of a strong. They had a real strong work work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, they really had a strong bond in the place. So that was a really good team to go into. They'd made a semi final the year before. I think a couple of things. So um, so a couple of things which really helped drive us on there or as a group. So um, they had a pretty good cult. They had a good culture, sorry, a really strong work ethic. And then Gregor and the rest of us kind of um, implemented a few other things, rituals and, and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think the big difference there and the shift um, from the semi-final to eventually making a final, losing it and then winning it was the playing style. So um, before Glasgow, um, Sean Lanine, who had been the coach for many years there, I think – maybe three or four years before we got there, they'd come second last and they said, right, what do we need to do? And he basically said, we need to be a hard team to beat. Now, the hard team to beat was made, was from their point of view when they looked at various teams and different things was not to make many mistakes and not to play much at all. So a lot of it was kick, chase, not play much. And, and listen, it got into a semi-final and they did a great job. But I think the big difference for us was that particularly the way Gregor wanted to play, Gregor was... Um, very multifaceted type of game, offloading, running, mm. passing, kicking. So that was a big shift in terms of the way uh, the game was played or how Glasgow, how Gregor faces all the team. The great thing for me too is two two things which I'll describe. There's many things which, you know, we felt had a good bearing, but two things I thought Gregor did a really good job at was we had a winning template. So there was kind of six things that he we kind of looked at each week and said, this will win rugby for us. And I'll quickly go through them. The first thing, which was great for me, was we had to have outstanding defence. Mm. So that was a number one priority. So any good team, uh, whether it's World Cups, Super Rugby, you know, Pro 14, generally you've got to be right up there defensively to win. Um, so he saw, he said that. Mm. We don't beat ourselves. So, you know, exiting, turnovers, things like that. Um, we we looked at turnover differential and, and things like that. Win quality ball, so set piece ball was the third one. Create quick ball was the fourth one. Get behind the defence, so offloads, tackle breaks was the fifth one, and then seize the opportunity. So that was basically in the finish zone what we did, and, and they were kind of ranked in those orders. So that was one big thing. So the players knew what we needed to do to win a rugby game. And the other thing which I thought he did very well was he he really sold the vision. So he sold the vision that we wanted to be the first Scottish team in history to win the Pro 14. And from word go, he had a picture of Leinster basically uh, winning the the Pro 14. Mm. And he said, right, this is going to be us. And that vision would come up pretty much once a week, just about. So this is what we're aiming for. This is what we're aiming for now. So the first year we were there, we made the semi-final. The second year we made the final and lost the final. And the third year, we made the final and won it. So that was kind of like a vision we worked out and sold uh, for those three years. And like anything, we learned a lot of lessons, valuable lessons on the way. And then winning that final in Ulster against Munster was, again, very similar to the Reds. It was the first time mm. it ever been done. And just Great. the emotion and the amount of supporters we had, it was it was something that was very special. So That's cool. It sounds... Um... 
I get like similar time too with Pat Lamb with Connacht, like a very similar kind yeah. of way he went about it. Was a lot of people told him he was crazy for thinking Connacht could ever win the Pro Twelve, but every day he'd tell people we're going to yeah. do it, and you know if you tell, say it enough, it'll happen. Yeah, I think um, the guy I worked with a with a guy Dan McFarlane who who came over to Glasgow from Connacht and had a season with Pat. And then uh, he's Scotland as well. So he knows Pat very well. And what you've just said is, I think one of the strengths from what I was told of Pat is what you've just said. He, he sells a vision and he really, yeah. and the players get behind that and he really drives a very good, very good like storyteller. Yeah. And he creates yeah. that atmosphere and that. So, and, and they, they did really well. They built a lot of momentum and unfortunately we, um, we played them twice. Oh, that's in a true, eh? In the semis, eh? Yeah. <laughs> and we, we lost both times, which yeah. was a bit of a shame. But yeah. to be fair, they were deserved winners and, and did a great yeah. job. And also the style. Mm. I thought they played really exciting style. Yeah, so, so, yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, just to, just to wrap things up, then, yeah. 2018 Six Nations is done. What, what have been some of your observations now that you're doing that review of the season? both in terms of uh, Scotland's defence and, and other team defences. You mentioned France there a little bit as well. What what have been some of your key kind of takeaways from the, the, yeah. the tournament? I think, um, listen, we, we in terms of game by games, we had some really poor games defensively and then, and then we had some, we had our really good one against England and Absolutely. then we had some ones. Um, so it, for us, it's been consistent. Now, part of that... Um, some of our mindset uh, away from home and, and doing things to get us in the, in the right mindset and, and things like that. So, so that's a mental type of area which we're working hard hard on, and, and we've had a lot of discussions in around that area just recently. Um, you know, France um, did a fantastic job in terms of their defence. Um, unfortunately, well, unfortunately, they um, you know they only they only conceded. I think it was I've got written down here eight tries but they only scored nine so mm. so if if they could have scored a few more tries and kept the defense like it was they would have been right up there right in the mix to for winning it but i think um and they'll know that and they'll and they and they'll work hard on that i think um you know you, you look at a team like ireland who who are very good both sides of the ball mm. um you know they're very ruthless and in terms of with the ball without the ball and um that they did a fantastic job and they're a very hard team to break down. Um, you know, we a couple of things which we were really happy on. We we had three of the four top tacklers in, yep. in the nations. We had Johnny Gray making 100 tackles, which was a record. And he wow. he's a bit of a oh, he's totally. A eh? <laughs> he he he's, misses uh, two a year or something. Oh yeah, we um we used to we used to have a a thing called a continuous tackle chart, yeah. which is basically you know every time you got a tackle. Um, you you go on like a streak, so yeah. you, you know, make thirty in a row. But if you miss one, you go back to zero, and and then thirty <laughs> would be your streak. One year he was on like a hundred and eighty. No one uh, could play. And, yeah, and everyone else was on highest was thirty or forty, <laughs> and so he's a bit of a freak. He's uh, you know he's very good uh, post tackle. He's very good, but um, so listen, um, that was a good for us in terms of that. Uh, Watson was very good in Barclay. Yeah, I mean John Barclay won. Seven turnovers, which mm. was the highest in the as for an individual. So that was really good. So there was lots of uh, good things there. But again, we we've got to improve, and I think in times of duress, we've got to make sure that we stick to systems and, and we're tough on each other. But um, 
again, moving forward, I think we're in a pretty reasonable spot. And I think with Edinburgh and Glasgow um, doing reasonably similar systems, that's, that's going to help the national team moving forward as well. Mm. All right. Well, um, we, we always end the show with the, the same final four questions. When, when you were a kid growing up, who was, uh, who was one of the rugby players that you really admired and who kind of got you right into the game? Yeah, I probably, um, I suppose it's probably for uh, a lot of a lot of young Australians. I think David Campisi was, yeah, absolutely. even though he was back and I was a forward, yeah. he was <laughs> he was always very very exciting. I think um, a guy who who was very good, number seven, David Wilson, yeah, uh, absolutely. was 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 really good um, as a player. So probably those two Australians for me. Yeah, yeah, no, Campo's right up there, eh? He's, uh, yeah, definitely uh, one who popped out for me in my childhood as well. And, and what about now? Who are some of the players going around on the international circuit that you that you like what they're doing? Yeah, I think um, there's. I think from a defensive point of view, um, the, the guys that um, who were in Scotland, the guy John Barkley and uh, Hamish Watson are, are very good defensive players, and I get, I'm lucky enough to work with them uh, week in week out. Uh, Stuart Hogg's a very exciting player. Sure. I mean. Uh, I mean, uh, the two years prior to this, he won Six Nation Player of the Year, and mm-hmm. he's uh, he's very good. Um, Short McAnally is uh, a number two um, who's really come come on uh, as as a number two, who, who's been really 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 good player for me. So they're they're probably I'm probably biased. I'll, I'll stick to the Scottish players. Yeah, so. for sure. No no worries. Um, um you know th- those type of guys were fantastic. I mean, at a time at the Reds. You know Scott Higginbotham at that time, mm-hmm. uh, you would have said was was one of the best forwards in in world rugby in terms of his his ability to kind of attack and uh, and score tries and things like that. And Digby Ione and, and players like that were very exciting. Will yeah, and Quay yeah. at that time, and so those type of people at the time at Reds were, were very exciting to be part of. Yeah, for sure. And, and what, you mentioned a bunch of coaches in the interview. Who who are some of the the high profile coaches that you that you like what they're doing? Oh well, again, the guy I worked with, Gregor Townsend, is very mm-hmm. good. It's, um, I've really enjoyed him. I learned a lot of Vern Cotter. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of um, attitude and mindset, um, it's been good. Andy Robinson. I only worked with Andy for a, a short period, but he was very good. I just, we just caught up with him recently. He came oh. up um, and and had a chat to us, and he was a very driven and driven type of coach. Um, I mean. Without knowing the guy, but you know, you hear good things about Joe Smith and you know teams and how well they do and how um, and you know the players say good things about him. So for, for probably looking at him from afar, you know, very good. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're probably guys that come to my Dave. It's 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 good watching. Uh, like I said, Dave Dave Rennie at Glasgow's doing a great job, and Richard Cockrell at Edinburgh. And you've yeah. seen different activities, different drills. The cultures they're creating, both and 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 what particularly Richard's done in a short period of time at Edinburgh has done a fantastic job um, in terms of really building a strong culture and and a playing style and and they've really really developed in the short period of time and I think it's it's going to really help us as a national team. So he's done a fantastic job there. Um, it, it's also uh, the guy Wayne Pivak, who's at the Scarlets over here. Scarlets yeah. brand rugby. Um, the way they play Love is very it. exciting. Yeah, they're they're doing amazing things. I've, I've really enjoyed the, their turnaround in their style of uh, play for sure. And la- last question: What about someone lesser known uh, who's not in the 
say the professional uh you know uh landscape that that's doing good work yeah i think um you look at um there's a guy who's doing the Scotland Sevens at the moment, a guy called John Diel, cool. who uh, who had the Scotland Twenties for a period of time there, where they beat England. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who's really good? I think he's a really. Uh, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's same age as me, but he's um, he's doing good things, and I'm sure that there'll be bigger and better jobs coming for him uh, down the track. Um, Ian Mon- Monaghan, who's uh, who's also involved at a at a at a underage group, under 18s here, Scotland, okay. the Scotland under 18. Oh, they just had a couple of good wins, though. They did a great job. They beat Ireland, which for a Scottish team under, under 18s to do that is a yeah. fantastic job. So I think he's done a fantastic job um, and, and he's one to really look out for moving in, up in the Scottish scene. Um, there's a guy in Australia, a guy called Carl Marshall. Okay. Who uh, who works? He's been at Brothers Club for many years. They won the premiership a couple of years ago. He's currently doing the Australian Twenties. I think um, if he got an opportunity at the at the next level, I think he would do very well. It's it's one of those things. Sometimes you need a little bit of luck. And mm. us both, me being a former teacher, and you never know, I could go back to teaching at one stage. But mm. sometimes you've got to get take a leap of faith, or someone's got to give you an opportunity. And that that happened to me. I left a really good teaching job at TSS to go into the academy. And I, and I took a bit of a pay cut, but I took a bit of a risk, but I kind of got where I wanted to go by taking a risk. And sometimes yeah. you've got you to chance your arm and, and do those things. So hopefully someone, some of those guys I've mentioned will get opportunities in the next couple of years. Yeah, that's great. And, yeah, good advice too. All right. Well, mm. it's, it's been great chatting to you. I, I, uh, I, I could, this is, you're actually the first uh, defence coach on the, on the, on the pod, so uh, – I could, uh, I could I could extend this for another hour, but uh, I know you've got things to do. So, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Matt, and I uh, really appreciate you coming on the, the show and sharing uh, a bunch of great ideas for coaches. And, uh, yeah, we we'll wish you all the best with the, the upcoming uh, end-of-season tour um, coming over this way as we discussed. You're heading to Canada, US, and Argentina. So uh, enjoy that, and thanks again for coming on the show. No, thanks, and I really enjoyed talking. I always talk... Enjoy talking rugby, so yeah, thanks for having us. Perfect. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. Also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.